With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Taylor Rooks. In this episode, I sat down with my favorite sixth man, Atlanta Hawks' very own Lou Williams, to talk about his potential retirement, what it's like playing with a star like Trey Young, and the future empire that is Lemon Pepper Lou. This is Taylor Rooks and Lou Williams. Enjoy. Okay, so you know, I have wanted to have you on the podcast for quite some time. You did a podcast with me at my old, old job, which was so fun. I got to go to Lil Willville, yeah. see what that was like there. Um, but I mean, for a multitude of reasons, I feel like you really are the underground go, especially here. Also being from Gwinnett County, I've wanted to have you on. So there's a litany of things um, for us to discuss. But for people who are listening, maybe do not know what I'm referring to when I say Lou Willville. Can you describe what Lou Willville is? It's my own little playground. You know, it's uh, about my my first home when I was was 18 years old. So to me, that was, it was like, in my head, no other house was bigger than mine. You know what I mean? And so (laughs) um, I just custom built it. Everything that I could even imagine that I wanted in a house and, you know, when you're a child, when you're a kid, you put a lot of childish things in your crib. And so it just became a little playground for me and my friend. What is the number one childish thing that is in Louisville? Um, I've since removed them, but I had some, uh, I just had some entertainment in my basement uh, once upon a time that was, that was cool. But, you know, I had kids. Yeah. <laughs> I assume, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I assume the entertainment is maybe a pole-type structure? It's a few. Okay, a few pole-type yeah, structures. A few, yeah, Okay, so we can bring... S- something like that. Something like that, hypothetically, yeah. it is something like that. But yeah, I mean, you go into your home, the, there's like the gate with the 2-3, it really does, it's like an experience uh, to go in there. So is it on Google Maps? Like if you put in yeah. Lou Willville? It's a, it's a real place. Yeah. It's a real place, yeah. How does that happen? Like, do you contact the No, I, it surprised me. Yeah. I was, actually, we was playing around one day, and I just typed it in, and I was like, oh, shit, it's an actual location. Yeah, Louisville is a destination yes. you can go to. It's definitely a place. Favorite party you've thrown there? My favorite, um, wow. I've had, I've, had, I've had some good ones. Um, probably 2018, um, right before the pandemic. I threw a pretty big one. Everybody that I felt like I had close relationships, there was friends of mine came and we had a really good time. Like nobody, it was a lot of celebrities and nobody acted like a celebrity. Everybody just had a yeah. great time. So I think that was one of the most memorable ones. Mm-hmm. Who were some people that were there? Uh, Meek was there. Obviously Quavo was there. Cash Doll was there. Um, PNB Rock was there. All my teammates was there. Mm-hmm. Um, other guys around the league was there. It was just, 
I don't know. It was just perfect timing. It worked out for a lot of people to be there. Yeah, yeah. Because I know you and Meek have a really solid friendship um, yeah. that I that I do want to get into throughout this podcast as well. But there's something I want to start with. I want to get right to what I was going through your Twitter. First tweet I saw, Dwight Howard disrespect. Yeah, for sure. Elaborate on the Dwight Howard disrespect, which for those uh, watching, I assume you're referring to him not being put on the NBA. Absolutely. I, he's, one, he's one of the most... Recently, one of the most dominant bigs that this league have seen. I, I think a lot of people have short-term memory when it comes to um, the run that he had in Orlando, you know, and he was the head of that snake. He was he was literally the most dominant big in the league, you know, and just his resume is decorated. He, he's, you know, he's an NBA champion at this point, but at that time, you know, he had, he had a few deep runs and, you know, he just put together a very solid career. I know sometimes personality kind of gets caught into that stuff and I'm cool with Dwight but you know from the outside looking in I can see where you know some people have have mixed emotions about um Dwight but you know talent wise you know this dude is a, he's a he's a top for me he's a top 50 talent you know mm -hmm. when you look at when you want to reevaluate the list and go through it I know some of the older guys will probably feel a way about that but you know he's just he was a game changer and I think he should be respected in that manner how do you feel about the list in general, the new wave of this list? Are there any other people that stick out to you as, as snubs, people you were maybe surprised that were on there as well? No, I think, for me, I think it was pretty accurate other than that. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think they did a really good job. It's hard to do. You know, we have so many talented guys that's going to come through throughout this league um, and throughout the years that are going to put themselves in a position to be in that conversation. You know, it's hard to do, so... You're never going to get everybody on the same page and everybody's not going to be happy, but I think they did a solid job. Are lists a thing among NBA players that really mean something? Like I know, you know, Clay Thompson talked about it the night before the list came out, how he felt he deserved to be on it. The next morning, he also discussed it too. So it was clearly something that was special to him, that he felt yeah. slighted for not being on. It's legacy. You know, it's legacy. And I think most importantly, from when it comes to those types of things, you just want to be respected by your peers. You want to be respected again by the guys that you have competed against, that you competed with, um, guys that's going to come before and after you, and you just want to be respected in that manner. You know, we we play a competitive sport. You know, so naturally, championships is part of it. You know, rankings are a part of it. Being number one is part of it. You always want to strive to be the best, and so I'm sure a lot of guys get in their feelings about that type of stuff. You talked about how potentially one of the reasons he wasn't on there is because of how voters might have viewed Dwight's personality. Do you think that for on-the-court things, personality should even matter? Do we get too caught up no. in that? I, well, first of all, we get way too caught up in it. I think that overshadows a lot of the talent sometimes. You know, it's just, I think that comes with just the era that we live in in the time with having so much information on people's personal lives and how they carry themselves and the things that they do on and off the court. Um, you know, I think 85% of the time, it's more about that than it is the actual talent. You know, it's starting to get to a point where the actual, where the actual talent is just the cherry on top for the people that you're judging, you know? Mm -hmm. So it, it plays too much of a part in it. I, I don't like it personally, but it is what it is. You've talked before about the NBA being a political league. Yeah. In what ways does that show itself? I can give you an obvious one. You know, I, I know a lot of guys that... Um, a lot of young guys that probably go into camps and training camps simply because of the relationships probably the agents have with GMs and coaches. You know, that's that's political. I'm not saying it's it's a bad thing. You know, if you have a relationship with somebody and I can help you further along, mm -hmm. I think you should use that. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't I don't see nothing wrong with that. But sometimes that kind of gets 
um, that kind of gets in the way of some guys, like we mentioned, you know, personalities and some things that may be off the court. You know, sometimes a lot of guys don't get the opportunities that um, they should have based on those things opposed to um, what they can do on the court. So it gets a little, it's a little gray right there, you know, when it gets to that. Do you feel like that takes away from the game, from the experience of being in the NBA? Um, not for me personally. Um, I've learned to live with it, but, you know, it's part of it. it ain't, it's never going nowhere. You yeah. know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be what it is. So it is, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Because I was watching. I'm going to tread light on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Please do not tread lightly. Speak your mind. Um, but I say that because I was watching a podcast you did with Gilly, I believe. Right. And your quote was, there are guys in the NBA. They shouldn't should be in no fucking league. And, no and I meant that. And that's the truth. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. Like you see, you see a lot of guys that should be in the league that's overseas. And then you see a lot of guys that's in the league and they've just never done nothing. They've literally just never did anything. Um, and it's not fair, you know, it's, it's just not fair. But like I said, I've learned to live with um, the nature of the beast. It's never going to be fair, so. Well, it's interesting that you wouldn't kind of like blatantly or outwardly feel like if that's the case, it isn't lessening the product. Because if that's your logic, then that kind of by definition would. I mean, you're never going to get it perfect either, though. Yeah. You know, so I think the NBA is in great shape. We have a lot of talented players. Um, we have a lot of guys that's creating um, legacies for themselves, you know, so. I still feel like the NBA is a, a very dope and great product. I think we do a, a great job of marketing ourselves. We do a great job of making sure um, when it comes to sports and entertainment, we're at the forefront of that, mm -hmm. you know? So uh, like anything else, you know, er, some, everything has its flaws. Mm -hmm. Can you give me an example of a player you think should be in the league that is not? Um, I'll go back, you know, I, I don't think there should have been a time when Melo wasn't in the league for, or for a few years. And then once he comes back, you know, he's still very productive. I don't think that should have happened. So mm -hmm. I use that as my example. Okay. You talk about how some, maybe sometimes we let personality cloud the way we view different players, different things. Do you feel like that ever happens with you? Um, I guess recently with the, um, with Bubblegate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, I, I just felt like people were trying to put me in a space where um, they were trying to make me to be out one of the, one of the silly guys or one of the guys that just do um, off the wall rambunctious things. And I, you know, I didn't like how I was being viewed in that light, but yeah. you know, it happened, so. Do you feel like you're gonna be able to shake the whole no. lemon pepper loo? No, that's why I bought it. <laughs> so now it's just yours, you gonna make <laughs> yeah. money off it. That's why I trademarked it and, and, and bought everything that, that surrounded it because I realized it was gonna stick and people like it, so. Yeah. I hate it, but, you know, people enjoy it, so we're going to take advantage of it. I got seasonings <laughs> coming out soon. You know, we got shirts coming out. If you want to make a shirt, contact me. We'll clear it. We'll do a split. Oh, lemon pepper shirt, lemon pepper seasonings, too. Yeah. Yeah, that was, something, that was something my manager came to me about, um, and I thought she was crazy. I was like, I'm not selling no fucking seasonings, man. Like, <laughs> and she was like, all right. And then I kind of thought about it. It's like, well, I might as well just embrace it. It ain't going nowhere. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny, though, when you say that, because I think different people think different things when they think about you. Right. Because you are this person who in a lot of ways is like a like an urban legend. There's just so many stories about Lou and this character of Lou Williams, whether it's Lou Willville, or it's you being mentioned in all these rap songs, or it's the whole two girlfriends thing, or it's Magic City. There's just so many things that people think of when they think of you. 
So I'm curious how you think you're seen by NBA fans, then how you see yourself. Um, I'm happy. I, I, I think overall I'm happy with the legacy that I have, you know. Um, I just get embraced. I, I just get embraced by, by culture, you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm part of the, the fabric of culture, you know, when you think of um, rappers at NBA games and they court side and, um, you know, those types of things and parties and women and all of that type of stuff. You know, I came into this league very young, experienced a lot of different things, um, tried to do a lot of things, tried to do music, um, executive to this day. You know, I got some running around to do today, mm-hmm. wearing that hat. And um, I've just, I've inserted myself into that scene, you know, and so um, for me, I've, I think the most important thing, as long as I have respect, I don't really mind whatever whatever you think, you can think it, you know. Mm-hmm. I always tell my teammates, you know, when they ask about me, tell them the truth every time. Whatever your truth is about me, tell them the truth. Mm-hmm. And I can live with that. Yeah. What is kind of your truth for you? I don't know. I just think I've always carried myself um, very authentic to um, my brand. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not shying away from enjoying music. I'm not shying away from um, jewelry and, and all of these things that we enjoy. You know, AI is my big brother. You know what I'm saying? And he's the biggest cultural icon there. Is. So that's my, that's, that's my template. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so when you see me, you see a lot of him because he was my template. He was somebody that I looked up to and I mimicked. So it is what it is. So for you being someone who has been so immersed in culture, everybody knows, and multiple arenas, how have you been able to not get caught up in that? Because I've seen a lot of guys get very caught up in just the life in general. Yeah, never forget what put food on your plate. Just never forget the, the root of it all. Basketball is the root of it all for me. So that's always the priority. That's always the number one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that simple to me. So of the things that people will say about you besides lemon pepper, what's the one thing you get annoyed about the most that you hate being asked about? And then I wonder if I'm then going to ask you about it. <laughs> it's probably that. Um, probably the two girlfriends thing. Okay, what annoys you about it? About being asked? People ask me about what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> That's well, I it. Mean, like, <laughs> technically, that is what you were hypothetically yeah. doing. But it, but it wasn't for everybody, though. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't for everybody, you know, so. So when this hypothetical story comes out or you're in this lyric or whatever. I mean, are you, it happens. So it's, are, it's a real thing. So you're upset about it. If you're saying it wasn't for everybody, are you mad that then I everybody was, knows? I was just more so upset that it took on a life of itself and I no longer control the narrative mm-hmm. of it. You know, people even thought they were sisters and all of this crap. I was like, that's, that's ridiculous. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? And so I just, I didn't like the part of it where I couldn't control what was being said about it. Mm-hmm. and how they were viewed. Like, both of those women are mothers of my children. You know what I'm saying? And so they're not just some random girls I'm, I'm running around with. You know, I have, I have little people running around, yeah. and they're responsible for those kids. And so I just didn't like the narrative and where it was going. Yeah, like it was totally unfair that it was almost made into like a joke of your life as a person. For sure, to, yeah. There's two human beings that are being affected by yeah. whatever, whatever people are saying. For sure. Um, I do want to talk about your kids because they're all so cute. Yeah. Uh, your son is the cutest. I saw him at a hot team. He's just the cutest little boy I've ever yeah. seen. Little six man. Yeah. Uh, tell me what it's like raising a little boy. I love it, man. It's um, you know, you just wake up, see yourself every day. 
you know, just you want, you know, you, you want your daughters to kind of be around a man kind of like you and then you want your son to be exactly like you. Mm -hmm. So it's just different trying to raise a boy other than a girl, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm a little I'm a little rougher with him than I am with the girls. Yeah. I remember I had a conversation with my parents about this and I just asked, you know, what is the one quality that you guys have or had that you did not want me to have? So what is the thing about you that you do not want your son or your daughter to possess? I want my son, um, I would like him to just be more open with the things that he enjoy. You know, I think for me, um, I wouldn't say I'm shy at times, but I'm a, I'm a lot, I'm reserved. It's a lot of things that I want to do that I, I get in my own way about. And so I want him to just be more free in that manner. Can you give me an example? Every day I'm like this. Um, just, I might want to, I just might want to go on vacation. I talk myself out of it. It's just little, it's just little things that mm -hmm. um, I've been trying to train myself to just go for it, you know, mm -hmm. and I always kind of make an excuse, you yeah. know, sometimes when I want to go experience something, I want to go do something, I talk myself out of it. I want him to be, um, you know, just more of more spontaneous than I am. Like, my days have to be, boom. Like today, I told you, like, I have somewhere to be at 5.45, 6 o'clock, I got to be out. Yeah. Like, sometimes I want to just get up and I just want to go, but I just don't have a personality for it. So I want him to be more spontaneous than me. Yeah, a bit more spontaneous and free-flowing. Yeah, going, just free-flowing. Going with the flow. Okay. What is a Lou quality you want your daughters to have? I think they have them. I think both of my daughters are very mature, um, very self-aware in who they are. Um, mm -hmm. They have two completely different personalities, and they live their they live their truths. You know, my ten-year-old, she's a hooper, loves basketball, and my seven-year-old could care less about a basketball. Mm -hmm. You know, she's singing and flipping and running around, and she has uh, Zoe has the biggest personality out of my three kids, and they're all just completely different. So I think they have it all. So. When you obviously left the Clippers mm -hmm. um, and doing the second thing with the Hawks, your first line of your IG caption was, I thought about retiring yesterday. Yeah, I kind of did. Yeah, talk, <laughs> yeah, talk to me about it. I kind of I did. Like, I, I had conversations with my family and my friends, and I was like, you know, it's over. I think, uh, I think this has come to an end, and I kind of, I kind of cried a little bit. I'll, I'll be open about that, you know. I kind of cried and I took a nap and I woke up and um, I, was, I just had a conversation with my agent. And um, he was like, man, just take a deep breath. We'll talk tomorrow. We'll figure it out tomorrow, mm -hmm. you know. And I was just, I was on that wave. I just felt like I put so much time and energy and effort into trying to um, create this special place in L.A. You know, I felt like I, I owed that um, to the Clipper fans, and I wanted to, I wanted to do that um, for that fan base. Mm -hmm. And so once that was over, you know, I just felt, um, I just felt funny about moving forward, mm -hmm. you know, and um, having a conversation with friends, family, and everybody was like, yo, you tripping. Like, you still got a lot of basketball left. We still want to see you play basketball. Like, we're not ready for you to just be sitting around us every day. And so... <laughs> Um, the biggest conversation I had was with my, uh, my two girls, though. My two girls, they just was like, keep going. Like, we okay. Keep going. Because, you know, once they're, they're getting older, you know, they're 10, and um, Zoe will be 8 this year, um, and Jada's into basketball. And, and, you know, what was really bothering me about everything was um, that was her first year. Last year was her first time playing AAU. Oh, wow. 
And I got to see her play one time. I saw her very last game of the season. And so that was really bothersome to me. And so that was kind of swaying my decision to to step away and mm-hmm. spend more time with my kids. But, you know, they told me to stick around. Yeah, but when they were like, no, we want you to keep going, yeah. it was clear for you. Yeah. So the tears, were they tears of sadness, hurt, disappointment, frustration? Like, What did those represent just, for you? I guess at that, in that moment, it was just closure. You know, like I got drafted when I was 17, you know, and so I'm a jarhead. You know, this is all I know. This is all I've ever known as far as... Um, as far as a career path, you know, I've always been a basketball player. I've always known um, the structure of being um, in the NBA, you know, and so you always think you're prepared until, you know, it's, it's reality. And I know, you know, this is this is probably my last season. I say that publicly, but I said it last time. So who knows? Um, but you always think you prepare for it until you look in it in his eyes and you know, so I think it was just a mixture of all of those things. You think this season with the Hawks could potentially be your last season? Or in your head, it's your last season? Yeah, potentially. I have the I have the clarity. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. But I'm also okay with continuing to play if that's where it takes me. You mm-hmm. know, so I'm prepared for the I'm prepared for the worst. I think in some ways it's surprising for me to hear, I guess, an NBA player who almost felt like this loyalty to the city and also wanted that loyalty sent back to them. Because I think through time, especially someone who's been in league so long, kind of understands that this shit, there's no... Yeah, I just, I, I just ain't, I ain't, I ain't like how it went down. That's all. Like, you had three months to trade me. You wait till the 15 minutes to the deadline to do it. Like, mm-hmm. I wasn't feeling it. Yeah. You know, I felt like I, I deserved a little bit more respect than that. So. Yeah. And because you had so publicly said, like, you never want to leave this place. You like the role that they have carved I felt it coming, though. I, I wasn't naive. Yeah. But you know, if, if you're going to do it, do it. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, don't wait till 245. Mm-hmm. It didn't play surprised. I just wasn't feeling it. When you say play surprised, you what know, do you mean? You know those phone calls. So yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. That, like, man, get out of here. Yeah. You know, so. So for us who are not NBA players, okay, the majority of the world, we don't know what it's like on that trade deadline day where you then find out you're leaving. So walk me through. So that was my third time getting traded. Um... The first time I got traded, I learned on Twitter. The second time, we had very open dialogue, like, we're probably going to move you this week. So I knew that one was coming. And then this one was like, you know, it was just always the rumors, the rumors, the rumors. And we asked some questions like, yo, is any of this stuff valid? And they're like, no, of course not. Of course not. Of course not. And then mm. you trade me at 245. I just felt like the, the, the energy that I put into wanting to be there, embracing everything about it. Like a lot of that team had um, a lot of my personality stamped on it. It had a lot of Pat Bell's personality stamped on it, mm-hmm. a lot of Trey's personality stamped on it, you know? And so I just felt like um, I, I, the communication could have been better. Yeah. So it's more about a, a respect thing. and what. You yeah, it's about. all about respect. You know, mm-hmm. business is business. Yeah, you know? but there's a right way to do yeah, it. Yeah, business is, especially with um, with what we built, I just felt like the communication could have been way better than that. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I think, obviously, that is a part of the business, but there is a right way and a wrong way to For sure. do business For um, sure. in that aspect. That Clippers team, um, in the bubble, when you think about how everything played out, what's the first thing that, that comes to your mind? We dropped the ball. I think we just dropped the ball. We just didn't get it done. I think we had a we had a perfect opportunity to, um, to accomplish what we set out to accomplish and didn't do it. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of, I think, 
narratives about that team, a lot of people putting in their opinions and all of these things. What do you feel like people didn't understand about that team? What do they not what do they not know about that team? We were tight. I I don't think people understood how tight we were. You know, I think they were trying to create some, you know. You know, when it comes to Kawhi, I've realized that because he he does such a great job at um, being in control of what's said about him, that when people don't have the access that they want to him, they just create whatever they want to create, and he doesn't combat any of it. We were just a super tight group, you know. We was, we was tight. I, I I really loved playing with those guys and working side by side with them. Like that was a real brotherhood. I got, I flew back with them after the trade. No way. Yeah, that's like we were tight, and I didn't feel weird about it. Yeah. You know, it was like we was it was a celebration. Like we had had a few drinks and played cards like usual and played music and had mm-hmm. conversations and you know it was cool. It was, it was a dope experience. So that's but that's how tight we were. Yeah, and still to this day? Absolutely. I just spoke to Kawhi last week. We spoke about some music steps. Yeah. Is Kawhi actually a funny guy? He's really funny. <laughs> In what ways? Like, explain to me how Kawhi just, is funny. He just has a lot of personality that a lot of people don't get to see. But, yeah. you know, that's you know that's how he carry himself. So, yeah. you know, if he cool with you, he cool. If not, yeah. you probably never see it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, you said you guys were talking about music. I think maybe a week ago, I saw like a clip of him in the studio with, I think it was Lil Uzi. Yeah, I think yeah. he, um, I think his, uh, his, didn't his album just come out, I believe? Um, nah, see, I would, that is something I would not know. <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> he yeah. just put a, I think he just put a project out, right? Yeah, he just put a project out. He has, a, he has, um, I think he executive produced the project and had a lot of artists on it, so. Really? Yeah. What's, Ka- what's Kawhi's music vibe? Because, you know, none of us would know it. Is it. I don't want to tell all his business because if he wanted it out there, he'd have, told, he'd have been telling people. Fair. But, but Fair. you know, he and I got some stuff in the can that's just for us that we recorded. It's just for us. Because, so. and I remember we had this conversation years ago. So the library has probably just grown. But you were telling me how you just have a bunch of songs that no one has ever heard. Yeah. I got a ton of music. Like, put a number on it. I probably got over, like, uh, I think it was like 123 I saw the other day. I got like 123 files in my notes that I just, I put it out when I feel like it. So when you say but, you wouldn't. Oh, so this goes back to what yeah. I was saying about how I want my son to be more open and spontaneous. Yeah. Like I've literally sent out songs to like directors and they've sent back treatments and budgets for songs and we're going to put this out. And then once it comes time to shoot, it's like, uh, I get around to it. Really? You know, so that's just that's how, like, and I have to be in the mood to want to to want to release music. You know what I'm saying? And so I want my son to just be more open with some of his goals and just go for it. So have you like eventually turned down like some really big things to do because I you just always, weren't in the mood? <laughs> I always turn down big things if I'm not in the mood. Really? I, I have to be. I just have to be in the mood. That's it. When we had a conversation about doing this, I'm like, no generic shit, because I ain't doing it. Yeah. You know, I'm just, I'm not doing it. If I ain't feeling it, I ain't going to do it. Yeah. No, I feel that. Okay. Well, when, when do you know you're in the mood? If you wake up, you know that that's a mood day for you? It got to happen. it comes throughout. It got to happen that day. <laughs> okay. It got to happen that, it got to happen that day, or at least, you know, some, some steps got to be put in place for me to do it, to follow through with it. Okay. Other than that, I'm going to be on to the next thing, and I'll get back to it when I get back to it. But do you feel like we will one day hear it? 
there will be a day where the movie it's a few, It's a few that I know for sure I'm putting out. I'm like, these are too good. You know, like, I got to put these out. Tell me one of them. Um, I have a song called Good Day, and it's um, featuring uh, Ro Timmy and Boosie. Oh, nice. And shout out to Ro Timmy. He takes, his, he takes me at least once every two weeks, like, yo, put the record out. Because <laughs> it's that good. <laughs> yeah, he's like, bro, put the record out. Yeah. And I was like, I'll get around to it. <laughs> well, depends on my mood. That's what you got to yeah, say. Now yeah. that we know. And now that the season has yeah. started, like, I'm not going to focus on it. You know, yeah. So. so at earliest, we'll get it next summer. Probably. <laughs> probably. Like, All-Star Weekend. Usually, sometimes when I want to release music, I always look at Christmas and I always look at All-Star Weekend. So if everything's ready by one of those dates, mm-hmm. I'll put something out. But if not, I'll just keep it. So when you say that you and Kawhi have a song, you're rapping, he's producing, you're rapping, he's rapping, or what? It's just a song. Here we go. See, you can... Nah, I'm, I'm open to talk about it, but, like, for him, he don't, he don't open up about that. So yeah. I don't want to... So you don't want to... I don't want to violate that. Put your man's out there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you talked about the Clippers in, in the bubble. One thing I know that was going on in the bubble was a lot of card playing, a lot of boo-ray. Yeah. A lot of money being lost in that bubble that I that I have heard many a story about. Did you participate in these Blu-ray games? Absolutely. How much I money? I was one of the ring leaders. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want to. So for those of you who do not know what Blu-ray is, and now I understand the functionality of the game. I'm more of a spades player. It's like five card. Ex- it's like yeah. five card spades, and the dealer can flip over a card, whatever card you flip over. That's the trump. Yes. And that really is kind of the game of the NBA. It's what you play on planes. It's what people play. Yeah. But it was, it was all the things. It's, it's, our, it's our thing. So you were one of the ringleaders. Who else was a ringleader? Um, our, our little gamble group was me, Pat Bev, um, Kyle Lowry, um, Fred Van Fleet would watch. <laughs> <laughs> but he was like a consistent watcher. Like he was part of our, yeah. our, uh, our, our little unit. Were you the best Boo-Ray player? I ain't going to say I was the best. I'm not going to say I was the best. Yeah. I'm not going to say I was the best, but, I, you know, I was still, I was cool when I left. Yeah. yeah. Did you enjoy the bubble experience? Fuck no. Who did? No. I think some people liked the bubble. Who? But I feel like, so this is what I think about the bubble. That's the yeah, only child. <laughs> I think people understood that saying that you liked the bubble would imply that you liked living away from reality. No. But some people, I'm telling you for a fact, did not mind. You see, we didn't go back. Nobody was going back to that. No one had gone back, but to ha- it was like a break. It was a break from literally no, everything. No, I, I didn't want that Three break. Three months almost. No, listen. Shit was traumatic. Yeah, and for some people it was. There was different experiences, absolutely. Yeah, that wasn't it. That wasn't it. Let's not do that one again. Was it genuinely hard for you? Yes. What yes. was the hardest thing? I, I felt... I don't want to use that term. Um, I just didn't feel free. I didn't feel good. It just wasn't a fun experience for me. Mm-hmm. I left. I left there kind of like I took a break when I left the bubble. Like I needed some time to mm-hmm. decompress and like come back to reality. Like I got used to living a certain way that I I shouldn't feel like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't want to use the term institutionalized because you know we weren't criminals and. And at the end of the day, we still had the option to leave, you know. We probably wouldn't have got paid or whatever, but that was hard. That was hard. I just remember one day, 
Um, and Pat Bev is super strong. Like he's, he's, I'd probably say he's stronger than me. You know what I'm saying? And that's why we're so close. And we were sitting there one day, and he just, he said, he said, damn, bro. I said, what? He said, we're going to be here at least another 60 days. And that kind of put it, it made it real. Like, we really not going to see our families go eat at restaurants and none of that for at least another two months. So mm-hmm. for me personally, that shit was a traumatic experience. Do you know what your lowest moment in the bubble was? Um, I had a lot of them. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of I had a lot of long days in that bubble. I ain't gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie to you at all. Mm-hmm. No, but whew, you know. how much did the the team performance impact how it was for you mentally in the bubble? That wasn't a lot of it. You gotta think that was just one bad week of basketball for us. Totally. You know what I'm saying? Out of everything that happened, that was literally from Monday to Monday where we blew it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, other than that, I thought we played pretty well. You know, so a basketball part of it wasn't that bad. Um, it was just, I don't know, it was just crazy, man. I don't, yeah. I don't know. It was a lot, and I, I always tell people. What was your experience? So my experience was different because, for me, it was from a journalistic aspect, right? Like, it was very beneficial to be a journalist in the bubble at the epicenter of everything that was happening in that moment, right? We were covering the playoffs and we were there when you all had the big meeting about social justice. Like we just felt like we had an up close and personal seat um, to a really unprecedented moment in history. Yeah. Obviously it was So on the flip side of that, we prefer not for y'all to have that. Exactly. So I see, I see it <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it yeah. was just... It was just a lot, you know, especially with, it was kind of funny some days. Like, you just, you walk out the hotel, LeBron's riding around on the bike. Yeah, like LeBron it's normal. and AD every day. Yeah, they riding around <laughs> on the bike, and there's guys in the pool, and, you know, we play volleyball. It was like a weird-ass NBA school or something. Yeah, it was. I always, it felt like summer camp. That's yeah, what it was like. It felt like summer camp with yeah. a curfew, and you better not leave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't go, can't cross this line, you cross this line, like it's, you're going to have to quarantine. When you think about the bubble, because I know one of the main things I think about is that night where NBA stopped, y'all got together in that ballroom, and everybody talked about what they wanted to do. Yeah. When that happened, where did you stand? I wanted to leave. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to go. I was like, you know, um, I was just ready to go, straight up. Mm-hmm. That was it. I was ready to put everything on the line because it was so much pressure. It was just, you know, it's it like a micro, like we were living, we were literally living in a bubble and we had so much responsibility. Like we were on the front lines of everything. Y'all wanted us to entertain. Y'all wanted us to make real world changing, life changing decisions. Um, it was just a lot. It was just a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to go. I wanted to just go home and, and, be with my kids and just hide from everything and just be a private citizen for a little while. Yeah, yeah. That day, I think you could almost, or that night, that was one time I feel like it was, energy was palpable. Like it felt very heavy around that campus and that night because you could just feel the disagreements. The Yeah, it was a lot of tension. Yeah. It was, a, it was a lot of tension. And like I said, it's just, you know, we were, we were literally dealing with life and death and people's um, trying to change lives. And 
um, and try to fight for fight for justice, fight for people of color and minorities and, and things that was going on. Like we really felt strongly about that. And then at the same time, trying to worry about basketball. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so it was just, it was heavy. It was Like you said, it was heavy and there was a lot of tension and we tried to do the best job that we could, you know, to try to make the best decisions for everybody yeah. as a unit. You, uh, throughout this conversation, have talked a bit about legacy, just what legacy is for you. Um, do you think when it's kind of all said and done, you will go down as the best six man of all time? I think so. What makes you say that? The numbers. Um, the numbers, lifestyle. I think I made it, I made it acceptable for young kids to, to look at somebody and have an example of somebody that took a position they were given and made the best out of it and made it look cool. Um, and so um, I, I don't know if anybody else embraced um, coming off the bench and being a six man the way that I did and turned it into a lifestyle. And so, you know, I got the numbers to back it up. I have the records to back it up. I have the trophies to back it up. Um, yeah, so, you know, I say that with a lot of confidence. I feel like, you know, I put myself in a position to, you know, possibly be a Hall of Famer at some point um, based on being the best at my job. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, like being the, as they say, the goat at your role. For sure. Mm-hmm. Who do you put in that top three if you're one in terms of the best six? Jamal and, and, and Manu, for sure. Yeah, because I feel like that is what people tend to go back and forth with is you and Jamal. Yeah. Like, who, who is that? Who is yeah. that person? And, and I just think the only thing that separates Jamal and I is just I just embraced it. Mm-hmm. I embraced it and I enjoyed it and, um, you know, and I just put together a crazy run. You know, I'm sure he, he had a great run as well, but I just think that was the, that's the only difference between us. I made it a lifestyle and, yeah. you know, he was trying to be the best that he could be. I was trying to be the best bench player I could be. So Yeah. Right. A couple more things though, before, before we let you go. I'm curious, and correct me if I'm wrong, when I was reading that caption where you were talking about how it felt to go f- to leave the Clippers when they decided that they were going to trade you. It felt like you were almost battling with kind of a love of the game aspect because of the business part that initiated it as well. Yeah, Do you sure. feel like you still love the game in the way that you once did or has that changed? Yeah, that's what keeps me around. It's um, just the basic premise of just I, I love hooping. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I could hoop without all of the business stuff, I would, I would still be happy. You know, and so I think that's what keeps me coming back. It's just the love that I get from my peers, the love that I get from fans and people respecting me for what it is that I bring to the table. You know, mm-hmm. I think um, that's what keeps me going. Mm-hmm. And now being here with the Hawks, is that kind of rejuvenated? That- yeah, because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a it's a new time and it's just a new um, experience for me. Like yeah. I'm more of a, um, I'm not needed as much on the court mm-hmm. um, as I am with this group off the court. Um, and my influence and the things that I have to say um, and the direction that those guys look look for me um, to put them in the right direction. So it's a different hat and I enjoy it. I enjoy being um, big bro, or uncle, yeah. unk or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I ain't been called so many of those things <laughs> in my <laughs> life. And so, um, you know, when I was with the Clippers, I was playing with a lot of my peers, a lot of guys that was the same age and, you know, here, you know, being around these young guys, you know, they keep me young. They keep me um, juvenile, rejuvenated and, and happy to be around. And so um, yeah. it's fun. How special is Trey? Trey is dope, man. I, yeah. I really enjoy working with Trey. Um, like the kid is a superstar and he like, he don't even know it. Mm-hmm. 
you know, he may know it, but he don't he don't carry himself, you know, like I just enjoy I just enjoy working with him and how he carry himself every day. Like it's just mm-hmm. it's just a joy to be around him for real. Well, as you know, the resident Hawks fan here, I feel like Eastern Conference Finals can absolutely happen again. Tell me how good you feel like this team will will be this season. I was at that game against the Mavs. And I was very like, deep, very deep yeah. team, very talented. Um, we just we have this arrogance that we just know we're a good basketball team. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's needed when you're trying to do special things. It's important for you to know who you are, who you are as a group, um, and they embrace it. You know, mm-hmm. it's nothing wrong with saying I'm really good at something yeah. and I'm better than you. Yeah. You know, and I think sometimes you need that arrogance um, to push open so- certain doors. And I think once we saw that, it made us realize, you know, that we were part of, we were part of, you know, the bigger picture. I was explaining that to John Collins the other day. I said, "Yo, you got to understand, we're part of the show now." Mm-hmm. You know, I said, "When you go to, when you go to Milwaukee, you want to kick their ass, don't you? When yeah. you go play the Lakers, you want to kick their ass." That's how people look at us now. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? When they come to Atlanta, they ain't going out no more. Yep. <laughs> they're yeah. not going out when they come to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. They're getting some rest. They're going to eat good, and they're going to try to kick our ass because we are part of the show. And so I was trying to make them understand and embrace that mentality. Like, yo, you are closer to the end goal than you think, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So I look forward to it. And you could really feel that that shift happen, you know, because yeah. I agree. There are certain teams like, oh, I can go out. It'll be fine. Like, yeah. that game's going to be an easy one. Yeah, you can't play with us. Yeah, but that's not... Can't play with us. This one, it is not anymore. I think it was it was Nick Saban that said, once you get to the top of the mountain, you become the mountain. Right. And it's like those teams that are the show, they are a lot of different people's mountains. We are in that mix now. Yeah. Um, and we got to embrace that. And mm-hmm. and with that comes a lot of responsibility as well. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And so for us, we got we to gotta know what comes with that. We got to carry ourselves like it and go out and perform. Mm-hmm. Is... I know, obviously, you want to win a championship. That's a thing that that helps propel you. Do you have this almost like obsession with ring culture that maybe the media does or some other other players do? Um, I don't. I don't have an uh, an obsession with it. Like I'm not trying to get traded around. Yeah. To go find one, you know. I I feel like um, when I was in LA, we had a realistic opportunity to do that. I feel like I have a realistic opportunity here in Atlanta. I think that would, that would be so special to me to do that in my hometown mm-hmm. um, and do that with a core of guys that I, I really enjoy working with. Um, you know, and you put the work in and put yourself in a, in a position to make it happen and it work out. If not, you know, I ain't tripping. Yeah, yeah. Because you feel like you have given the game all the things that, yeah. I've perfected my role on these teams and, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like I've done my part. Mm-hmm. So as someone who is a big AI fan, and I know that is someone that you are very close to, can you tell me the biggest thing AI told you that you have used just in life? Um, the biggest? Oh, he never really told me anything. I just studied him every day. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just I always just studied his movements. And I just remember always seeing him so hurt, you know, body so banged up. And then he would go out on the floor and you wouldn't know it. And then after the game, he'd have ice on everything. You know, everything is taped up, something is bruised, some is fractured. And he would never he would never put that out there, you know, and he would just mm-hmm. would go out there and be a warrior and go perform every day. And I always wanted to do that. I think that's why I've been so durable in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I can play, if I can go out and perform and compete, I'm gonna do it. And I deal with whatever I'm dealing with after that. You know, mm-hmm. I think that was one of the biggest things that I got from him. 
Yeah. When I when I interviewed him, it it just kind of struck me that just through I mean through comments, through what people would say about that interview in general, is I don't think people view him as human a lot of the time. Like he's kind of like reached that level where everyone's he's an icon. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like to some people he is like just this idol and to some people he's somebody who they feel like they can say whatever about or whatever to. And I think that there are just some athletes that because of all the things that we know or have heard about them, we dehumanize them right. in ways that we maybe don't even intentionally mean to, but but it does happen. What would kind of be your message just to, to people to remind them that athletes are quite literally just like every single person? That's it. Just watch how you approach some of us. Like, everybody ain't playing games. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, you know, the, the comments that you make on people's social medias and the things that you scream out in, in an arena, like, yo, we're not caged animals. Like, some of us will literally kick your ass, man. Like, mm-hmm. watch your mouth, dude. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Just that's That would be my thing. Just approach people with respect. One of my pet peeves is a, is a fan walking up to me and just, like, sign this. Yeah. It's like, speak to me. How you doing today? You know yeah. what I'm saying? How's your day going? Like, you don't know what somebody going through. And then you make me out to be an asshole because you don't get the experience that you thought you were supposed to get because of something, that, because you think I'm a certain way. You know what I'm saying? You don't know what we're going through. Might be having a bad day, just like you capable of having a bad day and you walking up to me shoving a, a pen and a paper in my face and I just supposed to do what you tell me to do. You know, so mm-hmm. just, you know, approach us with caution and just treat us like humans with respect. That's all. Yes. And... Make sure, too, if you made the lemon pepper jokes, you better buy the merch. Yeah, buy the, buy the merch or, <laughs> and the just, seasoning. or be ready to deal with whatever mood I'm in. <laughs> that's cool, too. Yes. You know? yes. That's cool, too. Just deal with whatever, however I feel about it. Yeah. You know, you can say it in a, you can say it in a, in a polite, like, I know tone, right? So yeah. when somebody approached me and it's lemon pepper loo, and it's like, that's real admiration. Or yeah. I know the tone when you're trying to be a jerk. So we can get on that page, too. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So just be careful, man. Yeah. Everybody ain't out here playing. That's my quote of the day. <laughs> everybody, everybody ain't out here playing. <laughs> <laughs> and I also want to say, I was somebody who was actually tweeting about this as it happened. As someone who is from Georgia, people go to Magic City they, for the food. You just don't understand. Especially if, if, if it's 5 if, o'clock. If you don't understand, yeah. I don't expect you to understand. Yeah, yeah. And people wanted the story of it you just ran. It. it just ran wild. Yeah. Like, you know, even the, the the young lady that lost her job in there that said I was in there throwing money and we was partying, like, she lied and she lost her job for lying. Yeah. And she got paid $1,000 to say those things for the for the newspaper, whoever she did the interview for. She got $1,000. What? For, yeah. That's what happened. She, they paid her to say whatever she said and she lost her job about it. So. Wow. So it was just a lot. A lot going on. People's imaginations ran wild, you know. End of the day, I, end of the day, you know, it was my first time in a pandemic. I ain't, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand the severity. I thought, you know, in my head, I thought I was doing something responsible. Yeah. Um, it was daytime. I just had left awake um, for the um, um, for my OG that had passed away. It was eight people in the whole building. I sat away from everybody. I thought I was doing the right thing. Had a mask on, got my food, and I left. Mm-hmm. You know, and looking back, I can see what that was wrong to a lot of people, and um, and it's something that happened, and I learned from it, and I yeah. moved on. Yeah, because everybody was figuring it out at that time. For sure. But I am here to say, five o'clock in Magic City, no one's really even there. 
DJ probably not even there, honestly. It, it's nobody, Magic City it's nobody starts popping much, but much But again, <laughs> we, eat, we eat in Atlanta. We eat at our strip clubs. Cheetah is one of Cheetah? the best restaurants. Cheetah? Magic is one of the best restaurants. <laughs> Kale's Kitchen, that came from strip club culture. Some of our best restaurants and places to eat here mm-hmm. comes from that. So yes. it Do is what it is. Do you count Cheetah as a strip club? Because I kind of don't. It's like dinner with like I don't, like, I don't count Magic as a strip club. Really? I go to the Magic City Kitchen. Which it is really called Magic City. It is what it is, man. So, but (laughs) yeah, I've like I've never gotten a dance at Cheetah, so I don't consider it a strip club. Yeah, it's more of like a dinner spot that has some extracurriculars happening around you as you. You can say that. I haven't been to Cheetah in years, though. Yeah, yeah, no, that's I I go to Cheetah's. It's like a fun dinner spot. Yeah, it's cool. In there, it's nice. Yeah. (laughs) Well, listen, I needed all of my. I needed the the strip club breakdown. I need to get some words of wisdom from you. So I appreciate you coming. As always, you always, if I ask you to do a podcast, you are so willing. So For sure. I appreciate it's you. It's a Gwinnett County thing. I got you. Hey, G-Co, we stick together. That's one you. thing, okay? That's one thing we're going to do. So, thank you so much, Luke. You know it.